Well, I'm glad that you're here today and you picked a great weekend to be here. If you're new, I'll just introduce myself. We have new people every week. My name's Tim, I'm the lead pastor here and it's, it's a great honor that, that you would just come and, and be here today, if this is your first time especially. If you're catching us at the tail end of a series for kind of the first four weeks of this year, we, we're talking about going to church. A series called Sunday Best and we, we've discovered it's not really about what we wear, although this is pretty awesome. Just, just, I just pointed that out, yeah. This is my Sunday best today. And uh, it's not just about what you wear, but it's about what you bring into the house of God. And we're talking about not just how do you go to church, but how do you really go to church. And I know some of you are like, I'm an expert, I've been going to church for 30 years. I, I understand that sometimes we can do something for 30 years and not actually do it to the greatest level that we could. And so my prayer and hope is, as we've been, kind of beginning this series and this year out is to really talk about how do we get the most out of these moments? How, how do I not just do this out of ritual and routine, but how do I actually get the most out of an encounter with God and, a, and with this community? And so that's what we've been talking about. And I, I really believe that if you will invest yourself for maybe 40, 45 weeks, this is a challenge. I'm just gonna put a challenge out there. Some of you have already, you're like, I've been here every week this year. That's awesome, incredible start. What would it look like if maybe 45 47, 48 times this year, maybe when you're not on vacation or other, that you would prioritize going to church with that kind of attitude and expectation. I believe that you're gonna get a lot out of this. And I do believe that the church is one of the greatest investments you can ever make. I, there are incredible benefits for investing your time and your energy and your life in the, in the church. Do you know that? Like, can I just tell you, there's something unique about the church that you're not gonna find anyplace else in this world? There's something about this community that to know that, can I just say this, you have a community that will support you even when you're going through the hardest times in your life, to know that there's people who will rally around you when you have to walk through a, a difficult loss. There, there's something about the community of God's people that you're gonna find love and acceptance. There's something about this community that will walk with you when you're dealing with an addiction, that will sit with you when your marriage is falling apart. There's something about the community of the church that is unlike any other community, where there are people right now who are investing in your kids, your children, trying to show them who God is, and they don't even know you. There are people who are walking alongside your teenagers in the hardest season of their life, and they don't even know you. This is one of the most incredible communities you could ever be a part of. It really is. Where are you gonna find all of that? Where are you gonna find the benefit of the church community where you can receive all of this and there are people who stand with you and pray with you and go with you to the hardest things in your life? Where are you gonna find something like that? Oh, by the way, with no membership fee. You weren't supposed to amen that. Just kidding. There's no membership fee. I want you to think about that for a moment. I want you to think about the rich benefits of being part of a community like this. Where else are you gonna find people that will, I mean, think about this, that will help you move when you need to move to a new house? Where are you gonna find people that will bring meals to your house when you just had a baby? 
Where are you going to find people in your life that are going to go to the hospital and visit you or maybe watch your children because you have to go to the emergency room? Where are you going to find a group of people that will meet with you and they'll walk with you before you get married and they'll help you get ready for a wedding? And then where are you going to also find the same people that will sit with you when your marriage is falling apart, when you are struggling in your marriage? Where are you going to find this kind of community? Your insurance company? No. Where are you going to find it? Oh, I know, your, your acquaintances at the gym, your bros that you see all the time. What's up, man, you know, pumping iron, yeah. They're going to come to your house and really help when you're going, probably not. Or, or, or is it, you know, your friends at the bar? Hey, man, they're fun to hang out with, but are they going to be there for you? Here's the unique thing about the church where else can you find a community that's going to be loving and accepting and welcoming, that's going to surround you, that's going to help you find friendship, help you find purpose, help you connect with God to the level that you're going to find it in the church? And oh, by the way, with no cover charge. Sometimes I think it's so good what we do in this church that we ought to sell tickets. And every time I mention my wife slaps me. <laughs> Don't you dare think about I'm not selling tickets to I, I, I mean, where, honestly, where are you going to get the quality, the experience that some of you might actually hear all that and go, this sounds like the greatest club ever to be part of. It really does. No membership fee. There's no cover charge. There's no annual dues. There's no one knocking on your door every month going, hey, you haven't paid your membership fee. None of that. You can show up at a worship night and get crumble cookies served to you that you didn't pay a dime for. That's pretty awesome, huh? Yeah, I'm just saying. But here's what I want you to understand. The church isn't a club. Never has been. The church isn't a club. It's a community. Do you, you know what the difference? See, a club is something that you join. You pay some membership dues. You get some benefits. The church isn't a club. It's a community. It's a community of people that all come together and they bring to the community their very best. They bring something to the community to serve one another. That's why we have hundreds of people every single weekend that are serving so many of you can have an incredible encounter with God. It's because we are a community where we come and we serve and we are a part of it. It's not just a club where we get something and maybe even for no cover charge. What I'm trying to say is we talk about going to church, okay? We don't just go to church to get something. Please hear this. We should go to church to also bring something. We don't just go to get, but we're a community, and we actually come and we give ourselves to God and this community. There's a big difference. I don't just come with my hand out going, oh, what do you got for me? Wonder what, wonder what great programs this church has for me. You know what we do when we're looking for a church? This is what we do. We start looking, we go, okay, I wonder what great stuff do they have for my kids? What are they got great stuff that they've got for my teenager? What kind of, I hope the worship's really, I mean, they better be good, you know. I hope the band's good. I hope the music's kind of the right level. I hope the sound mix is pretty good. I hope the teaching's pretty good. I we go looking for something to get. What I'm saying is the church is a community where our whole approach should not be what do I get, but it might also be what should I give. In fact, I, I want to I, I kind of talk about the posture that we should take when we come to God's house. What, what is the posture that we should come with? 
In fact, in order to get this point across, I need everybody to get your hands. I know some of you taking notes, and that's awesome. You should be doing that. You're I need you to take your hands, okay? I want everybody to get your hands out real quick. I just need everybody to join in, and I want you to take and turn your hands like this. I just want you to hold your hands out like this. I want to show you the posture that I, I think we're to take. Here's the posture that I want to bring to this community, and that is this. I want to come open-handed, but not empty-handed. That's so good. We're going to say it all together. Put it up there. Ready? Say it, say it with me. I want to come open-handed, but not empty-handed. I, I want to be open-handed, but not empty-handed. Now, what's the difference? You're going, there's no difference. This is open-handed. This is empty-handed. There's no difference, Pastor. What's the difference? And I would argue there is a difference. Okay? The difference is what's in your hand. That's the difference. I, I want to come open-handed, not empty-handed. I'll give you an example. Right now. My hands, these are empty. Would we all agree? Yes? Not your question. Yes. This is, I'm empty-handed, right? My hands are open, but they're empty. Same posture. Are my hands empty? No. What's the difference? What's the difference between open-handed and empty-handed? The difference is what I put in my hands. It's what I bring. Now, here's what I know when it comes to our relationship with God and and, and some of us really can identify with this if you're a parent, right? If you're a parent, and you maybe have kids, especially teenagers, my guess is you've seen this before. Hello, moms and dads? You ever seen this before with your kids? Dad, I need $10. What do you need it for? Oh, we're doing this thing, and I'm going with my friends, and I need $10, right? Hand out. I, I need it. Empty hand. Dad, we're going, Mom, Mom, I need some money. We're going to the movies. I want to get popcorn. I want to get candy. I need some money. I bet you every parent knows what it looks like when your kids got their hands out. I need to borrow the keys. Huh? I, 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 need, I need some new clothes. Hey, my shoes, I need some new gym shoes. I need this. I need this. I need Every parent knows this posture, right? The empty-handed. You know what would be a shock is if one day your kids didn't come asking for something, but they took their open hands and said, Dad, I want a hug. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? Mom, no, no, I don't need anything. I just want to hug, Mom. I just, I come. See, we don't often see the, the open hands like this. We see the empty hands like this. I, I wonder how often God looks at his children and sees an empty hand rather than an open hand. I, I wonder if, if God ever feels like that parent, and he probably does with me, can I be honest? Because I feel like sometimes the only time I'm talking to God is when I go, God, I need, God, I need, God, I need, God, I want, God, can you do this? And sometimes we come to God not open-handed but empty-handed and saying, oh, God, I need, I need. And here's the thing. Jesus actually warned us about having this mentality when it comes to approaching God. He gave us a warning in Scripture. In fact, he tells a story in if you have your Bible with you, you can get it out now. Use your hands. You get your electronic device, your, your note-taking device, whatever it is. And I'm going to be in Luke chapter 12. There, there's a fascinating moment. I love this. Um, this is a very interesting story. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus actually gets kind of caught in the middle of a family uh, drama. It's family drama. Two brothers who are fighting over their dad's inheritance. Um, more than likely, their dad passed away. And, and they're squabbling over it. And so Jesus just gets kind of sucked into this moment. Okay, here's what it says in Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 13. It says that um, someone in the crowd said to him, that was Jesus, Teacher, 
tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He's not being fair. Now, more than likely, this was probably the secondborn who's complaining. Because back in this culture, the firstborn got double the inheritance of the secondborn. Can we all agree that it's totally wrong? Just totally wrong. I think we all agree, okay? To be fair. Verse 14, Jesus, he replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Like, don't, don't bring me into your family drama. That's what he says. Look at verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out. He's talking to the whole crowd now. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of what? Y'all say it out loud on all kinds of greed. Watch out. And then he says this interesting statement. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. This is an interesting moment where Jesus is not going to get He's not going to get dragged into this family squabble over their money. And, and they, they just wanted, they just, like, Jesus, come on, just tell them to be fair. And I actually think Jesus looks beyond this request for what is fair and unfair and sees the deeper motive at work. And, and Jesus actually highlights, he said, watch out for greed. Watch out that you're not sucked into greed. Now, what is greed? Let me give you just a, a little quick definition. Maybe you'll write this down. You'll think about it this week. What is greed? To me, greed is the need to have more for me. Greed is the need to have more for me. What is greed? Greed. I need more for me. That's greed, right? Greed is I need more for me. And, and Jesus, in this moment, he says, guys, guys, I know you're fighting over this and you want what's fair and all that. But can I just say, watch out because greed is a trap. Here's how I know greed is a trap. I've never met anybody when they're young, really anybody in life when I talk to them, and they just tell me, you know, you know, Pastor, one day I just, I really hope to be really greedy. You ever met anybody that's ever said that to you? I never have. I've never met anybody that goes, you know, I, man, I just, I hope one day I just want to, man, I want to be so greedy. I've never met anybody that ever thinks like that. You know what most people tell you? They'll actually say the opposite. They'll say, you know what? One day I really want to be really generous. Why is it that nobody says I really want to be greedy? Here's why. Because it's not something we strive for. It's actually a trap. It's actually something we fall into. And Jesus said, watch out for all kinds of greed. You know, greed's not just for money. You know, you can be greedy for power, greedy for influence, greedy for control, greedy for, I mean, there's so many things. It's this idea, I need more for me. That's what greed is. And so Jesus tries to reframe as, as he hears this little squabble, he reframes it for everybody. And he says, guys, guys, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. What's he saying? Life is worth more than how much you can get. Like if you have reduced life to the one with the most toys at the end wins, if you think life is about accumulating more, getting more, bigger, better, more and more, if you think that's what life is, you've actually adopted a lesser view on life. You're actually missing the main point of life. Life does not consist in having more and more and more for me. And I think sometimes we, we believe that. I think sometimes we buy that. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to build a lot. I'm going to accumulate a lot. I'm going to end up with a lot. 
That, this, is, this is sometimes what we think, and I, and I get that. I get that. It's a trap. It's easy to fall into. And so Jesus knows that this is such a challenge that he kind of dives further into it by expounding upon it with a parable. Now, we, we looked at a parable last week. Let's look at another one this week. Look, look at what Jesus says. It goes on in verse 16. He tells them this parable, right? He told them this parable. He said the what of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. I want us all to say that word out loud. The what? The Come on, let's say it again. The, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store all my crops. Isn't that a bad problem to have? I got so much stuff. I got more stuff than my, I can fit in my basement, more stuff than I can fit in my garage. I got, I got so much. And then he had this idea, verse 18. Then he said, oh, I know. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger ones, and there I'll store up my surplus grain. Look at verse 19. He says, I'll say to myself, gosh, you're doing so great in life. You are just killing it, dude. You have plenty of, I don't know who talks to themselves like this, but he did. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. You can retire early, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Can I just tell you what, what he just described, let's be honest, is like the American dream. It's the American dream. That we would build and acquire and accumulate and then build bigger and that bigger barns, get to retire early, enjoy life, travel, do whatever I want to do. I mean, that stuff, that's great. That's really great, right? And he challenges this guy in this moment. This is what I think is really important because, and I, and I think it's easy to miss this. I mean, this guy, he just, he's just killing it. He's doing great. Can I ask you a question? What provided this rich abundance for this guy? What was it? What was it? The reason why I had you say that word is so you'd know it. Okay, let's try this again. What provided a rich a harvest and abundance for this guy? It was the what? The ground. Let me ask you this question. Did he make the ground? I know you own your own property, possibly. You got maybe a deed or the bank does, but it's like your name. It's like this is my dirt, and I feel like I own. There's something about owning your own property that's really cool. Get it. I understand that, but my guess is you didn't make the dirt. Right? He didn't make the dirt. But he did have to put the seed in the ground. So he probably made the seed, right? Oh, he didn't make the seed either. But he had to, he had to put it in the ground. That takes work. I get it. He put it in the ground, and, and then he provided rain for it so it grow, Right? I'm sure, he, I'm sure he produced the rain. I'm sure he's, you know, I'm just, you know, made the rain, Paul. No, he didn't do that. I'm sure he put the sun in the sky so the sunlight, because that's what's needed for all this. Stuff. And then my guess is that he went over and just over his fields, he probably just went over there. He just mentally started saying, grow, 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 grow. Come on, germinate, grow, germinate. And he just caused the stalks to grow and all this stuff. See, I think the reason why Jesus tells this story, yes, it's an agricultural uh, society. I think it makes this really good point. He has this massive harvest, but who was responsible for it? It was God. The ground of a certain rich man yielded a huge harvest, and I think it's a really important thing for all of us to recognize, because how easy is it to think, I did this? I started my business. I grinded it out. I built it to something. I'm the one that has all the clients. 
I'm the one who gets up early and goes into work every single day. I'm the one who stays late. I'm the one who puts in the extra hours. I'm the one who sells more than anybody else. I'm the one. I, 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 me, myself, I. It's easy for us to think I did it. Sometimes it's easy for us to be tempted to take the, the, the reward and say, look at the success in my life. I did it. But maybe Jesus would love to remind us all, you didn't do it by yourself. You didn't grow all this by yourself. You don't see the fact that your creator was behind giving you the intelligence, giving you the strength, giving you the DNA that you have, giving you the opportunity, giving you the blessing in your life, opening up doors in your life. So often we don't see all that and we go, look what I did. And God's going, wait, you did? Oh, you think you did all that. You, you know what I have found can be a success for, uh, uh, can be a, a method for success or the key to success? It, I, yeah, hard work, but God's divine hand. And I think we miss that. I'm just going to be honest. And we think, no, look what I did. But here was the problem. Here's the problem, right? The problem was in the story is that the only person this guy could think of was who? Himself. In fact, I give you a little exercise. You can go read this passage on your own later. Count the amount of personal pronouns that are used in this passage. I don't know what I'm going to do with all of my stuff. Oh, I know. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build myself bigger barns. I'll store up all of my surplus. And then I will take life easy. And I will, I mean, this, what, this guy is obsessed with himself. And Jesus is like, oh, dude, you're, you're missing the point of life. You're settling for something lesser. And so then Jesus gets to the point. I love it. Because, listen, it's not a parable without a point. And he gets to the point in verse 20. He, he, Jesus said this, but God said to him, you what? Help me out, you. Oh, that seems a little harsh. You fool. Yeah, but he was wealthy. Yeah, there can be wealthy fools. He said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? See, you were so foolish, you thought it was all for you. That's what Jesus was saying. And then verse 21. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not what? Can you say those three words out loud with me? Let's all say it together. But is not rich toward God. Jesus points out that... Um, in this situation, here's a guy, you thought it was all for you, you missed the point of life, you're foolish. He says, this is the way it is for everybody, stores up for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now let me just, let me just kind of um, pause and, and I want to work something out. Because for the longest time, I've been around church and Christian church culture, and when you hear stories like this, you immediately think, oh man, Jesus is reprimanding this guy who's wealthy and it must be bad to have money. And, um, and, and I just remember growing up around Christian church culture that it's like, you just, you don't let anybody know if you're doing well. Like, don't drive too nice a car. It's okay to have a kind of nice car as long as it's not like a certain kind of car. You know what's funny? It's like, you know, it'd be bad if you drove a sports car. You know what I have found? Most of the trucks around here cost more than sports cars. I just want to point that out, but there's a stigma in there. Because listen, I could drive some big old four-wheeler, uh, dually, diesel, 5.7 liter Cummings. I could drive that and then nobody think a thing about it. But if I drove in with a Corvette, people are like, oh, pastor doing well, isn't he? 
I don't have either of those, but I could. Can I just can I just say something? It's not bad to have money. Thank you. Let's try that again. That's not bad to have money. It's not. In fact, all through Scripture, you know what I find over and over? Whenever God blessed people, they were wealthy. God bless Solomon. That dude was wealthy, wealthy. It's not bad to have money. It's not bad to have nice things. It's not bad to have money in your hands. That's not the point of the story. The problem isn't that he had blessing or he had wealth or money in his hands. The problem is that he'd never extended it to God. The problem is when God helps you be rich and you're not rich toward God. That's when it becomes the problem. And the reality is that there's a lot of us that don't even realize maybe. And we're going through life and we're taking. We're like the little kid with our hands out to God. And we're taking from the hand of God. But we actually don't give open-handed back to him. I know, I know this word's a little challenging. But, but how sad that we could come into God's house Enjoy the beautiful blessings of his community and never actually participate and never give. And never, we're not rich toward God. You know, the, um, the truth, and I, and I even hesitate to say this because I, I don't ever want this to come across like sounding harsh or anything. And that's, that's not my heart and that's not why I'm even sharing this or whatever. But I, I just want you to know that there are many who come and they come with open hands to give and they're generous to what God's doing here. But if I could just tell you, there are also equally just as many, if not more, who come but never give. They come and enjoy the benefits of this community, the benefits of this space, the benefits of what we get where there's people who will serve and will come to your aid and will help you if you're struggling financially and will come in and sit with you when your mom dies and will maybe even officiate your funeral and will do pre-marriage counseling and will sit with you. When you're, you can come and enjoy all this and they come and, and never even maybe think about the fact that they come to God empty-handed, not open-handed, and they take, but they never actually give to the community. And, and God provides for us. And I'm not saying this because, like, oh, well, we need it to meet our bills. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something deeper than that. I'm, ta I'm talking about this idea of being part of the community. I don't just go to church on Sunday to get something. I go to give something. And as your pastor, I just, here's what I want. Is, this is what I feel like my call is, is to challenge you to grow. And my hope is, can I just say, my hope is that this year, that you'll grow more than you've ever grown in your faith. My hope is that this year, you're going to grow in your marriage. My hope is that this year, you're going to grow and your kids are going to grow in their life and their faith, their understanding of God. You're going to grow closer to God. You're going to do things like a fast and worship night. And you're going to walk together and we're putting out material and you're going to get into a circle and you're going you're gonna to grow deep roots. And it's my prayer that you will grow in every area of your faith. And can I just say... I also pray that you'll grow in the grace of giving, 2 Corinthians 8, 7 says. See to it that you also grow in those areas, but you also excel in the grace of giving. And I pray that we would become a really generous people. In fact, we have a value at our church. This is why we talk about it. We believe generosity is our privilege. That we're generous because God's generous. We're generous because we want to look like God. And let me just tell you, I understand. Giving, being generous, it takes faith. I'm just going to say it. Giving to God, being rich toward God, it takes faith. But what if there's not enough for me? I know, it takes faith. And here's what I know about our community. 
We have such a cool, diverse community. We have people that just across the spectrum. We've got people that are brand new that maybe don't even know what they believe, not even sure if you believe in God. Listen, if you're here and you're like, I don't know that I even believe in God, I would not expect you to be rich toward God. You're not even sure if he's real. I'm just, we're a place for you to come. There's no cover charge, just come, right? There's others of you that are brand new to faith. You're brand new. You just gave your life to Jesus, and you're like, whoa, what, my finances too. And that sounds like a lot. It is. It takes faith. It's a big deal. There's others of you who have been following Jesus for 30 years, 40 years. So we span the spectrum when it comes to our journey of faith. We're all in a different place. And so here, here's what my challenge is to all of us today. Is I want to challenge each and every one of us, wherever you are, whatever that level is of faith, here's my challenge. What would it look like for you to take another step to a new level in your faith? This is about faith, by the way. What would it look like for you to trust God and take a step? I want to, with the time we have left, I want to talk about um, what I kind of classified, and I, I got this from somebody else and modified a little bit, but four levels of generosity. And I would love for you to write these down. I want you to, here's what I want you to process. Every person, regardless of kind of maybe you've been in church for three weeks or 30 years. Here's the question I want you to ask. Which level of faith describes my journey? Which level of generosity defines my faith and trust in God? The first level is what I call random generosity. Random. What, what is random generosity? Random generosity is when you see a need, you should do what? Meet the need. Random generosity is like where, where you don't have any plan, you don't have any purpose for it, but maybe you're driving and you see somebody that's, that's hungry and they're on the side of the road and they're asking for help and you just, something inside of you goes, I, I need to help that person. You pull over and go, hey, here's five, here's ten. Can I go, can I go, to, the, can I go to Wendy's? Can I buy you something? Can I, that, that's random generosity. There's no plan. It just, it just happens. There's moments. Can I just tell you, I think that we should all have our, like if you're a person of faith especially, we should all have our eyes open and look for opportunities where we can meet a need. Amen? I think we should all do that. You see someone at the grocery store and they're struggling to have all the money, step up and go, hey, can I help you out? Random generosity. There's something cool about random generosity. But here's what I also know. There are a ton of people in our nation that don't have any faith and don't believe in God. And they're still generous in this way. They really are. I see this every time we have some big global disaster. You ever notice this? Now all of a sudden there'll be an opportunity to go fund me. There'll be an opportunity to help like provide in a global disaster. And, and what happens? People text in and you can text $10 to the American Red Cross. Can I just tell you, I think one of the reasons why maybe our nation has, has even at times been blessed by God, I'll say this, is because I think over the years when I think about our nation as a whole has been generous. When we see somebody in need around the world, what do we do? We send supplies. We send people. We step in and help. And I think that there's a blessing that is tied with being generous. I think random generosity, can I just say this, is the lowest form of generosity. In fact, I would say it doesn't take faith to do that. You just see a need, you meet it. The next level that I want to talk about is what I call recurring generosity. Recurring generosity. What is recurring generosity? Some of you participated in this at work. It's this idea that you're going to schedule to be generous. I'm going to plan for it. In fact, I'm going I'm to go ahead and I'm going to plan a regular rhythm of being generous. Now, I don't know if um, you've ever done this, but I know when I was working just in my, my old job before I was a pastor, that they always came to us and said, hey, we have a list of like nonprofits and charities. Would you like to get 1% or 2% off the top, up front, pre-tax, it'll help you here, and 
And there's a lot of people that do that. Again, people without any faith that do this. And these are the people that give 2% or 3% or maybe you do it to the church and, and you're like, I, I, just, I just give like 3% or I give 5% and it's something that you schedule. Can, can I just tell you, I think it's, it gets more powerful. Generosity becomes more powerful in your life the moment you make room for it and you schedule it. Okay, there are many of you, can I just say this, that you schedule your generosity with this church and because you're reoccurring giving, maybe every time you get paid, maybe you give a little something and you have a, here's $50, here's $100, here's whatever. Can I just say, because of your consistent giving, we're able to do things for our community. We're able to like pay the bills, we're able to have the lights, we're able to, you know, we're able to do all these things because there's consistent, regular giving. It's called recurring giving. And some of you might go, yeah, I do that, or I try to do it whenever I go to church, but there's something regular about it, okay? Now, the next level, and this is the one, I want to just say, that I want to challenge every single person who's part of our church and a follower of Jesus. I want to challenge every single one of us to get to this level at least, and it's called relational generosity. Relational. What is relational generosity? Relational generosity is this idea that I am going to give to God, not out of duty, but because of all that he's done for me. It's, it's a relational response. It's like, oh man, I'm so grateful for all that God's done in my life. I'm grateful for, for what he's done in rescuing me. I'm grateful for my future. I'm grateful for the hope I have. I'm grateful for the way he healed this person. I'm grateful. It's, it's a response. It's a relational response. And one, one of the most beautiful pictures that you see of this comes early in the Bible. It's in Genesis. I want to show you this in Genesis 14. There's a moment where Abraham, if you ever heard of Abraham, Abraham actually went on to do something that was so risky. He went and fought against five different kings who had assembled their army so that he could try to rescue his nephew Lot who was taken captive. And when he did this, God gave him the victory. And I want you to hear what happened in this moment. It's in Genesis 14 when, when he realized this. It says in verse 18, Genesis 14, that Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem, which by the way means peace, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. Can I just pause and say that most scholars, like we have no backstory on who this Melchizedek is, but we hear about him in the book of Hebrews. And most scholars believe that this is actually an Old Testament appearing of Jesus. Why? He's the priest of God. This is before they had the law. And he's bringing the bread and the wine. What does that sound like? Communion, right? And he represents God, and he shows up. And here's what he did. He blessed, verse 19, he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of the heaven and the earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hands. By the way, Abraham, God gave you the ability to win that battle. You are outnumbered, outgunned, and God gave you the victory. Let us at least recognize this. And so he says, Praise be to God who gave you victory. And look at Abram's response. It says, then Abram gave him how much? I want us all to say it out loud. Gave a, come on, say it again with me. Gave a, gave a tenth of everything. What was he doing? He was responding to God's blessing. He was responding to God's favor. He was responding to God giving him the victory. And he realized all the spoil from the victory, the increase, he's like, Wow, and without God, I wouldn't be able to do this. So you know what? I'm going to give him a tenth of everything. Now, I, maybe you've heard this word before, but that word tenth is, is a Hebrew word, ma'aser, and that word tenth 
is the word that sometimes you've been around church, you hear this word tithe. How many have ever heard of the tithe? Raise your hand if you've heard of the tithe. Okay, a good number of you have. I have people all the time, though, that they come to me and go, I've never heard of the tithe. What is the tithe? It's actually something we see as far back, this is before the Old Testament law, that we see all the way from Abraham, and we see it with Jacob, and we see it all the way through Scripture, and even Jesus talking about it in the New Testament. The tithe was connected to this idea that God says, I'm going to bless you. Here's what I want. I want you to give to me the first and the best of what I give you. When God brought, by the way, the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, let me tell you what happened when God brought them out. Um, he said, I want you to give me the firstborn of all your flock. The firstborn. You know how scary that is? Well, what if your sheep don't have more sheep? It's scary, right? What was God doing? He was testing them. He said, will you trust me? I get the first. Oh, by the way, when they went into the promised land, God said, the first city, Jericho, belongs to me. I get the first. We can't settle. We can't. No, no, because I'm testing you. I want to see if you will trust me. And so all throughout scripture, we see this idea of the tithe being what God called them. When I bless you, I want you to bring the first 10% to the place of worship, it says in Leviticus 2730. You bring it to the house of God. You bring it to the place of worship. And we see this. And I don't have time to talk about the tithe and in a full extent, and, but, but from the first book of the Old Testament to the very last book of the Old Testament, here's what we get. We get a promise from God when we put him first. This is the relational aspect. I'm not, I'm not giving because I'm giving a tithe, a tenth because of the way God's blessed me. And here's the challenge. I want you to hear this. In Malachi, this is the last book of the Old Testament. It's like, it's like the bookends, okay, of what God was saying to the people. There, there was a challenge. God was speaking to the nation in Malachi 3. Here's what he said to them. He was challenging them because they were coming to him empty-handed. That's what they were doing. Oh, God, bless us. But they were coming empty-handed. And so God spoke to them in Malachi 3, verse 10. Here's the, here's the promise. He said, bring the whole tithe. Everybody say whole tithe. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And test me in this. By the way, the only place in Scripture where God encourages us to test him, to try him. He's like, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw what? Everybody say that word. I will not throw. How many of you, how many of you really want God to open his hand towards you, huh? How many of you want God to open heaven towards you? He said, Three, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I remember Luke 12, and now I see what Jesus, I see what it says in Malachi. God says, if you will trust me, see if I will not be open-handed towards you and pour out such a blessing that you will not have room enough to store it. What should I do if God does that? Oh, I know. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones for my, no, 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 because greed's a trap. I'm going to move toward generosity. I'm going to recognize, God, you've blessed me so that I can be a blessing, so that I can be generous. And so the reoccurring, recurring is when I schedule a percentage. Relational is when I commit to the tithe. 10% is yours, God. And by the way, I schedule that. Our family, we schedule it. I go to our website and I schedule it. Why? Because I want to honor God first the moment I get increase, the moment I get paid. That's the relational one. The last one 
is the, the next level. This is the one I always feel challenged to step into, and it's radical generosity. Radical. What's radical generosity? Radical generosity is giving above and beyond what God even calls us to. Radical generosity is this idea that I'm going to sacrifice, and, and it's the idea that I want to I give and above and beyond. And here's what I've discovered. Like, I don't feel like, me personally, I have this natural gift of being generous. I don't. But the more I grow to be more like Jesus, the more he begins to change me so that I become more like him and less like Tim. I want to be more like him. I want to be less like Tim. You should want to be more like him and less like Tim. I want to be more generous. And can I just say this? Some of you, I want, I want to just say, I've met some of you. I really, I believe some of you have a real gift of generosity. Like it, it oozes out of you. I think it's a beautiful thing. I think there's some of you that I just, I've met that you just, you, you give above and beyond. Anytime there's a new thing, an opportunity, can I give to this? And hey, is there somebody, I have people that will contact me and they go, is there, is there families in need that I can help this, this holiday season? Or like, let us get you connected to them. We have people that do that all the time because they have a, they have a generous nature. There's something about it. And can I just tell you, this is, my, this is my goal for our family, is that we always give above the tithe. That's just my, it's not a requirement. It's not like, oh, you should. It's not like, oh, it makes you better. No, I feel like it's part of my journey of faith. I, I want to become more and more generous. Because here's what I'm also trying to really, um, I'm really trying to test God in. Is this idea that we can't outgive God. What if you can't outgive God? What if you decide, well, I, I want to give more. I just don't know if there will be enough. Well, what if God says, what if by the measure you give, I'll give to you? By the way, that was a promise of Jesus's. Last verse I'll give you is Luke 6. Luke 6, verse 38. This was Jesus as a promise. He says, give and it will be given to you. How? A good measure. So if I give to God, will he just give me maybe a little bit? No, 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 no. Jesus said, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together. And it's going to be running over and will be poured into your lap. That sounds open-handed. God, God's going to bless you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's the beautiful part of, of this whole journey of generosity is God says, listen, there's more where that came from. And when you become a conduit and you don't just store it all up for yourself, but you're rich toward me and toward my kingdom and my community, now I want to get more to you. And so it's a challenge. And I'm growing my faith. I'm like, okay, I want to I be radical. Radical generosity. And so I don't know maybe where you see yourself in your journey of faith, but the ultimate question when it comes down to this is this. Do you trust God? That's the real question. In fact, there's a, a, a story that I want to share with you today before we close that, um, of a couple that are in our church, Greg and Abby, that they wrestled with this and, and then by faith stepped into this relational aspect of giving. And they began to see God just touch their life and bless their life in so many different ways. And so I just want to take a moment, turn your attention, and let's look at their story. Greg, Greg Miller. I've been attending for seven years. My name's Abby Miller, and I've been attending for seven years as well. So, obviously, you two know, I really got to be, start coming alongside some of your journey when I had the privilege to walk alongside you two in premarital counseling and leading up to the wedding. And I think during that time, we had our first conversation about what it looks like to trust God with the tithe with putting God first financially. So can you jog my memory of 
what that conversation was like, or if prior to that, what your experience or thought has even been when you've been in church and you've heard this whole concept of tithing. What did that look like? Um, for me, the tithe was very important growing up. It was definitely stressed, like, this is God's money, like, and that's kind of what my mindset was, especially growing up, like, this isn't even my money, like, 10% is just automatically his. I think where it hit a challenge for me was whenever I went out um, and started making money <laughs> with my career, and that was a lot more than just $10 from birthday money from that, just, uh, just deciding that you know, maybe I'll won't tie this time or um, especially when, you know, you've got bills and you have rent. I think it just became all too easy then to just start to get out of the habit of tithing. Were there conversations uh, around that with you two? What did that look like? There definitely were. <laughs> she has uh, principles and these are the principles and we will stick to the principles. I am not that person. Um, <laughs> I'm just being honest, uh, you know, uh, not that I didn't see the value in tithing, uh, but Abby, for the very long time, you know, it's important that we tithe. Why aren't we tithing? Greg, you know, for me, it was a control thing. It was hard to give up that little bit extra uh, and trust God that God was going to provide if anything did come up. And not to provoke, but I think like so many people are there. Why do you think mentally it was so tough for you? Maybe. Because I didn't trust God that he would provide, if I'm being honest. It's a hard thing that I can hold in my hand and say, I have this much of. Mm -hmm. And so to just say, God, here is this. I am trusting you that whatever we are lacking, you will provide for me. That was really hard to say, here is this material. I trust that you're going to restore that material or in whatever way you do to me. It's kind of a cliche, but I really do like it. And it's this whole thought that we don't give to get, but we get to give. And the blessings that come, we... We give because of who God is, how gracious he's been to us. It's our response. What have you seen in your lives since taking that step of obedience? So there's been a lot. It's been a, uh, <clears throat> as I said to you the other day, it's been a mountaintop of a year for us. Mm. Early January, we were setting a budget with the mindset. Uh, we had just received a, a rent increase from our apartment community. We decided then, you know, we need to start saving for a house. And so... We started laying out a budget, and in that we decided that, uh, you know, before we even set up anything else, um, there needs to be the column right away. This is our tithe. We found a house that I thought for sure was it. Um, I was super excited about it, um, and it fell through. And I was just so heartbroken at that point. I was like, we're never going to find a house in this market. Every time throughout the whole process, it came up, both me and Greg, I feel like God would say, do you trust me? And it wouldn't be this direct answer of, oh, you're gonna get a house on this day. It was, do you trust me? Mm. And I remember we got a text from our realtor. We were sitting in service. We had just finished worship and seeing on my phone, the text from our realtor saying, hey, sorry, the offer fell through. They're not gonna go with you guys. And I remember right away, uh, I just, in my mind, I was like, you know, cursing that, you know, and, and so angry and, and so audibly in my, mind, I just heard God say to me, do you trust me? Hmm. And I think that was the moment that I really had realized, like, this is something we have to trust God with. And not just the house, but everything. Like, do you trust me? Are you, or do you trust that he will provide? And, um, you know, he showed up and he is faithful. Hmm. Um,
Um, and then we found this house that we uh, were able to purchase and uh, put a bid in on it and some really crazy circumstances with the people that owned it. They had an all cash offer yeah. on the table mm -hmm. and they chose to not accept it because they wanted a family to live in the house. We went to the live recording and I remember just realizing like uh, it's not about the house, it's not about any of this. Like. God is all we need and he's gonna provide what we need. So releasing that to him, I feel like finally, at least for me, like releasing the house, so just releasing whatever that is to him and saying, this is yours and you do what you want because I trust that you're gonna take care of me. For anyone in the room that could be on that edge and having the same reservations, what would you say to him? Jump in. Trust God. Don't expect it to be easy. He will come through and he will provide, even if it's just a sense of peace, knowing that you're walking with him in obedience with him. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We want to connect with you and we want to be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.